I'll move in the pulpit. You can go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 4. And also, if you want to put your finger on Daniel chapter 12. Why don't we pray once more here? Father, we come this morning, and Lord, we ask for help. Lord, we, we want to hear from you. Uh, Lord, please, would you speak to us? Lord, and that our hearts would be humble. Uh, as this, long, this last song um, saying, Have thine own way, Lord. Lord, that's the cry of our hearts, Lord. We, we want your way, Lord, in our life. That you would hold absolute sway over everything. So, Father, we again commit this morning to you, Lord, and just ask that your name would be honored. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start in chapter 4. So if you bear with me here, there's going to be uh, some lengthy reading here. I'm going to read all of chapter 4 and 5. So chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones... I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, The 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. 
chapter 5. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. So as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Today we'll be continuing with our study uh, through the book of Revelation. As Andrew highlighted, the main emphasis of the book of Revelation is in the title, right? The revealing of Jesus Christ. If we take a small step forward, we could divide the book into three sections, three main sections. The glory of Christ revealed to John in chapter 1. Christ shepherding the church in chapters 2 and 3. And in chapters 4 through 22, we see a heavenly view of Christ in glory and saving his church. 
Andrew has already covered the first two sections, but we'll begin here in the third section, starting in chapter 4. It is extremely noteworthy that section 3 starts with worship. Both chapters, chapters 4 and 5, have a similar theme of worshiping God as our sovereign ruler. This morning, however, my focus will be actually on chapter 5. We're not planning on skipping chapter 4, but actually I gave a message three years ago on this subject, and I already had a lot of the content and notes already together, so I thought I'd just continue on with Revelation 5. So, chapter 5, what is happening here? What's happening in this scene? The Apostle John was exiled in the island of Patmos, and on the Lord's day, he was caught up in a vision into heaven. After the worship of God as creator, John's immediate attention was drawn to a book or a scroll in his right hand. This book has writing on the front and back and is sealed with seven seals, and no one is able to open it. What is this scroll? There must be some significance since this has all of attention, all of heaven's attention fixed upon it. I think in order to understand this, we actually do need to turn to Daniel chapter 12. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. In some ways, those first two verses almost kind of summarize Revelation in many ways. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heavens, and those who lead the many to righteous like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? I heard the man dressed in linen, who was above the waters of the rivers, as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that it would, that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. As for me, I heard, but I could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, 
and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. So here we have there in chapter 12, um, and actually, if you uh, leading up to chapter 12, if you look through chapters 9, 10, and 11, it's quite amazing at really the, the history and how precise all the various things that Daniel brings up from King Xerxes to Alexander the Great to Ptolemy and Antiochus, um, even up to the Roman Empire. And so here you have this, this you know, God speaking through Daniel and giving the history of God's people of what is about to come and some of the persecution that is about to come. And then they get to chapter 12 of Daniel, and here even is saying that you know uh, there's going to be a time, a, a time that no one has ever seen before, of great trials. Okay, but but what is it? What 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 was the result? But they will be rescued. His people will be rescued. Okay, so again, this whole thing of summarizing all of, of history here. And and the these uh these angels tell Daniel to seal this up. Daniel's not understanding what's happening here. I don't I don't understand all of these things. And it's saying, Daniel, go your way. It's sealed up. You're not going to understand right now. It, it will be revealed in the end, but not yet. But write these words down. William Hendrickson, speaking of this scroll, says it represents God's eternal plan, his decree, which is all comprehensive. It symbolizes God's purpose with respect to the entire universe throughout history, and concerning all creatures in all ages and to all eternity. It's quite amazing to think about this. On this scroll, all of history has already been written. Now, we don't know if there's a, a, literally, necessarily a scroll, a literal scroll that is there, but yet what, what's the emphasis here? All of history, all of history is written down. We have a God who has wrote history to the very end. All the way from the beginning to the end, God has ordained history. He knows every piece of it, every word, every single aspect of history, of what has happened and what has yet to come is in God's control. The scrolling, the scroll has writing on both sides of the scroll. I'm not exactly sure necessarily what that means but that it is thorough in all of its ways and judgments. And in some ways, you could say it's filled up, right? But one big thing to notice, though, where is the scroll? It is being held in the right hand of God. The right hand is usually a symbol of strength and justice. This scroll that contains the unfolding of history is being held in one hand. Who can hold all of time in his hand without being crushed or exhausted? Kind of like the word that we received this morning. If you could personify water in a sense, and if God could hold it all in the palm of his hand. All mountains. He could grab the mountains and place them on scales as if it was nothing. The same thing. History. It's like God is saying, history is in my hand. And it's not too difficult for me. I can hold it with one hand. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. History. Hebrews 1.3, he upholds all things by the word of his power. And of course, the interesting thing is both of these verses are actually speaking of Christ himself. And we'll get to that next. But everything, every single thing that you can imagine is being upheld, upheld by the word of his power. Just simply just by a word, really. It doesn't even have to be his hand. Just holding it. He holds all things and his control of all things. No wonder the angel cries out, who is worthy to open this scroll? Who can open this scroll? Who can unfold history? Who can command all of history? No angel can do that. No man can do that. So John understands the significance of this scroll and the need to open it. This great dilemma in heaven causes John to start weeping. But what happens next really ought to just cause your jaw to drop. Someone walks up to God and takes the scroll out of his hand. Who is this lion from the tribe of Judah and why is he worthy to open this scroll. Who can walk up and take something from the holy God? In other words, who is worthy to command history with the one on the throne? No one. If you don't understand the problem, again, you don't understand the word holy. We use phrases like, he dwells in unapproachable lights. So where does God dwell? In unapproachable light. You cannot approach it. No man can approach it. So who is going to approach God? Not just anyone. Only one is worthy. Why is this lion or lamb not only open, um, able to open the scroll, but to also be able to stand in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the middle of the elders. Who is worthy to stand in the presence of God? Again, we heard this morning, what's the natural position of man before God on our faces? So who is able to stand in the presence of God and have a central position by the throne? Why is this lamb worthy to not only stand in the presence of God, but to be surrounded by the living creatures who cry out day and night, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. These living creatures are the seraphim, again, as was mentioned in Isaiah 6, who cover their faces and feet in the presence of God. Why is this lamb worthy to not only be surrounded by the seraphim, but also to have them stop singing to the one on the throne so they can fall down in worship to the lamb? Who is this lamb that he would deserve to have the elders join and worship him along with the seraphim? They not only fall down before the Lamb, but they offer praise to Him with harps and prayers 
with bowls full of incense. Who is worthy to be sung about and prayed to? Again, verse 9 and 10 in, in Revelation 5, what did they do? They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Psalm 96, sing to the Lord, Yahweh, a new song. Sing to the Yahweh all the earth. Sing to the the Yahweh. Bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Yahweh and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all of the gods of the peoples are idols, but Yahweh made the heavens." Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Psalm 96. Either the living creatures and elders just blasphemed, blasphemed God by singing a new song to the Lamb, or the Lamb of God is worthy and is God. From here, the scene crescendos. And the momentum grows. John is startled at the sound of myriads of angels being added to the chorus of the Lamb. There were not just a few of them in number, but myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands. Myriad means countless or an extremely great number. So just one myriad is just an extremely great number. You can't count them. And so John is saying myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, meaning it's just like it's this vast multitude. Here we have all of heaven, heavenly creatures joining together in verse 12 in a song about the Lamb. What were they singing? Okay, verse 12 there. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. These creatures were singing a song of consecration to the Lamb, devoting their lives to Him. If this Lamb is truly, not truly, worthy, again, this would be an act of of a coup, a coup d'etat, or overthrow of God's reign. Who is this lamb and why is he worthy to receive all of these seven gifts that were mentioned? To receive even one of these would mean that there is something extremely valuable about this lamb. Why is this lamb worthy to not only receive these gifts, but to receive them from the creatures representing the power and the image of God? Why is this lamb worthy to not only receive these gifts from these multitude of creatures, but also to be sung about with loud voices? They were not whispering as if they were ashamed. The singing seemed to even move all of creation to respond in a song of worship. Verses 13 and 14. And every created thing which is in heaven 
and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. I don't think we miss anything here. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Why is this lamb worthy to have the elders fall down yet again in worship after this song of consecration? Why is this lamb worthy to not only have these elders fall down and worship him, but to also have the four living creatures agree to what they're doing? They were not only caught up in falling down in worship and singing about the lamb, but they wholeheartedly agreed with everything that just happened. They kept saying, Amen. They put their hands on it, saying, This is the right thing to do. Amen. More importantly, why is this lamb worthy to not only be worshipped and sung about, but to also have his name be tied together with the one who sits on the throne. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, it would, it would be again blasphemous if I could, if I would say to him who sits on the throne and to Andy or to, to any, any other person. Joining together, putting together the one who's sitting on the throne and this lamb, putting them together in the same sentence like this. Why is this lamb worthy to be worshipped in the very presence of God? Why is the lamb worthy to not only have this done in the very presence of God, but to have it approved by the Father himself? It's as if the Father himself remains seated at the worship of this lamb. If he disagreed with this worship, wouldn't he have acted against this violation of his nature? By nature, no one is equal to God and therefore should not be worshipped. Deuteronomy 5, 9. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And actually later on in the book of Revelation in chapter 14, we're told of what happens to those who worship anyone or anything other than God. Revelation 14, 9 through 10. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. What happens when someone drinks too much? They are overcome by it, and they succumb to its effects. They can't hold it back. They can't control it. God is not going to hold back his anger. And even the lamb agrees to the torment of those who worship anyone else but God. So why does the father, why does not, why doesn't this one on the throne even protest this worship? And why doesn't the lamb protest this worship? 
Again, if it wasn't right, the lamb would have said, stop. No, I don't deserve the praise, but the one who sits on the, on the throne. But both of them in agreement receive and accept this worship. So I've asked a lot of whys, so I should probably start answering the questions. Brethren, our Savior is worthy of all of this. And even more. But what more? You. Your praise, your prayers, your worship, your life, your heart, your devotion. Why is he worthy? Is the question. There are a number of things that could be mentioned besides him being purely God of God as the reasons for his worth. But this morning, I would just like to focus on what is mentioned in this section. Verse five. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of tribe of Judah, the root of David has overcome. And then also verse nine. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Jesus is worthy because he overcame and purchased us with his blood. What did he overcome? Really, I, I guess I could probably read again this and can it be. I mean, it's kind of like a sermon in itself of, of everything of what, what happened here. But Jesus fully satisfied the Father and all that the Father asked of him. Jesus overcame by leaving everything behind and became a man. Do you see the majesty he has now in Revelation? Why would he want to leave that? Jesus had all authority, power in heaven, but when he came down, he humbled himself under the authority of his creation. Jesus had all riches and owned a cattle on on a thousand hills, but he came down in poverty. Jesus had all wisdom, but when he came down, he had to learn wisdom. Jesus was used to cries of worship day and night by the seraphim. But when he came down, instead he heard cries of, Who is this man? Or, Rightly do we say that you have a demon? Or, Crucify him. Or, He is not our king. Jesus left everything behind. Except, as Charles Wesley again put it here, he left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Jesus overcame by completing the righteous requirements of the law and satisfied them perfectly. Jesus overcame drinking the wine of the wrath of God, mixed in full strength, as we mentioned there in Revelation 14. That cup was mine. That cup was yours. 
It is enough that Jesus died, but that he died for me. He overcame the wrath of God so that he might purchase me with his blood. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? The angels can't sing this song. They can't sing the song of redemption from their heart. Christ did not die for anyone else but the human race. Even First Peter, there in First Peter 1, 12, it says, in reference to the gospel, things into which the angels long to look. The angels can never experience a taste of mercy. But we can. Jesus overcame death. What could hold such a one as him? In Revelation 1, Christ tells John that he has the keys to death and Hades. I mean, again, I have keys to my car and keys to my house. I go and please, and you know, go as I please, come and go. Again, I have complete ownership of these objects, yet I still have to subject myself to the governing bodies in regards to these things. This is not the case with Jesus. He has keys, the keys of death and the afterlife because he is the first and the last. He rules over death. Death is subject to him. So how do we apply this section to our lives? Again, Andrew's been teaching about the victorious Christian life. Do you see how this section fits with this, the, the, the previous chapters here and these letters to the churches? Again, what was mentioned in every letter? To him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. What do we have here in chapter 5? Behold the one who overcame. How do you encourage the saints to overcome? By revealing Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Do you see what Christ has done for you? Do you see his worth? How should we respond then? If you see it, if you have your eyes opened to the value of Christ, the worth of Christ, it ought to stir you up in response. Seeing his worth should prompt you to take up your harps and sing praise to him. Seeing his worth should cause you to lift up your bowls of incense. Pray to him who was slain for you. Seeing his worth should inflame the desire to give him all that you have. What purchased sins do you have on the surface of your heart? Again, I'm emphasizing purchased. God is not holding them against you. As a Christian, all sins that you've committed are purchased. But what purchased sins are on the surface of your heart? What are you holding on to? Is there any sins that maybe God is pointing out to you? 
Jesus, or excuse me, these sins were purchased by Jesus. Jesus is so worthy that the Father no longer even has a drop of wrath for those sins in your life. Jesus is so worthy that there is now no condemnation over you. Jesus is so worthy that there will never be, never be any condemnation over any sin that you yet may commit. Jesus paid it all. What's the response? All to him I owe. Sin, however, does create a rift in our relationship to God as Father to a son. We need to deal violently with our sin because this is why our Savior died. Don't go and try to dig really deep into your heart to find sin. What sins are at the top? Like what sins, like what, what is God showing you? If you have sins in your life and you're asking God, God, reveal this to me. Search my heart. Yes, we need to examine our heart, but we need to also allow the Spirit to come in and to point His finger and to convict our lives of sin. So what, what sin is God putting His finger on? Christ is worthy. Are you struggling with submission? Remember, His submission. Christ is worthy. Are you holding on to your earthly possessions, your riches, your comfort, your reputation? Christ is worthy. Are you not using the gifts Christ has given you? I mean, He prophesied, He taught, He served, He freely gave. He cheerfully showed mercy. Christ has given you spiritual gifts for a purpose. Christ is worthy. Are you giving him complete dominion over your life? The verse says, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive. Receive doesn't necessarily mean relinquish, but to give him absolute authority over its use. And for example here, I can't relinquish wisdom. I I can't just give it up. So the, the call is not to relinquish it, but to give it. Christ is worthy to receive your wisdom, your power, your might, to receive it, to give it to Him for His use and His glory. D.L. Moody once said that character is what men do in the dark. Character is what men do in the dark. Don't just have an external show, but give complete dominion of your hearts to Christ. Jesus is all the glory in Emmanuel's land, as we sing. But is he all the glory in yours? Christ is worthy. As Havergal said, Francis Havergal, take my life, take my moments and my days, take my hands, take my feet, take my voice, take my lips, take my silver and my gold, take my intellect, take my will, take my heart, take my love, take myself, and I will be ever only all for thee. Again, this song of consecration, giving it up to the Lord. Christ is worthy to receive your power, your riches, your wisdom, your might, your honor, your glory, and your blessing because of who he is by nature and what he has overcome 
on your behalf. Again, this week when you're struggling or if, if the Lord brings up sin or whatever it may be, remind yourself that Jesus is worthy. Again, verse 9 through 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So again, just kind of summing up here, uh, Revelation 5. And again, the theme in, in, in really in 4 and 5 is all about worshiping God and giving God all the honor and all the glory and this call that we have as Christians to not hold anything back. Again, because these sins, this is what Christ came for. This is what Christ died for. We need to give Him everything. So when we pray here, Lord, we, we come and we, we worship You and we say that, that Thou art worthy. Lord, we, we feel really inadequate in all of these things. How, how can we describe the worth of Christ? when we will be discovering the worth of Christ throughout all eternity. We've, we've only seen but just a fragment, just a mere shadow of the worth of Christ. But Lord, we ask that you would help us. Spirit, would you come? And, and a part of your actions, a part of what you do is to reveal the Son. And so we ask that you would reveal the Son to us that you would uh, open our eyes to see more of the worth of Christ. Why? That we would be more wholly consecrated to you. So, Lord, again, we, we commit ourselves. We ask, Lord, that you would have mercy on us, that you would search our hearts and see if there are any sins within us, and that you would lead us in the way everlasting. Again, we give you the glory and we thank you that right now that, Jesus, you are in heaven and that you are reigning supreme, that you are unfolding history by the word of your power, that, that again, that, that you, you hold all things, that you are omnipotent, you have all power, all authority over all time, every breath, every single sentence that we write down, every area of this world is covered by your omnipotence. God reigns. And so we thank you and we acknowledge that this morning. And, and again, though, we, we pray that that would deepen in our hearts. Amen.